Our scripture reading for today is Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 19. Hear now the reading of God's word. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the fields. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. And now, Lord, as we hear your word being publicly expounded now in the preaching of the word, we pray that you would <clears throat> not only prepare us, but move in us so that not only would we know, but we would accept, we would hear and we would obey all the things that you would have us to obey, to believe, to trust, to cling to. Lord, we know that we have a tendency to always turn a deaf ear, to close our eyes to the truths of your word. And Father, we suffered so much because of it. But Lord, we thank you that you grant us forgiveness. You give us mercy yet again so that once again we can be renewed and refreshed. We can be welcomed back into fellowship with you because of the great mercy of Jesus Christ, your son, our savior. And we ask now, that it's because of him that you would receive us as your audience and that you would speak to us powerfully in spite of the servant who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> so for the past two years, there have been a lot of discussions on how we have been hurt and halted and frustrated and furious because of the growing negative impacts that we've had to deal with in the various areas of our life, whether it be our finances, our plans, our jobs, and of course, our health. You know, in many ways, these past two years is comparable to a person suffering from a growing malignant tumor. It just seems that our problems keep getting bigger, bigger, and bigger. And as a result, we're more miserable, we're more mournful, we're more morose. And one particular category of life that has been especially impacted in a negative way is our relationships, more specifically our most important, most intimate relationships, whether you're talking about the ones between a husband and a wife, a parent to a child, a sibling to sibling, or even Christian to fellow Christian. So many of our vital social bonds have been shaken and stirred and even shattered because of the growing disagreeableness, the difficulties that we've had with one another in specific 
topics of life, whether you're talking about politics, the pandemic, vax, unvax, mask, unmask, critical race theory, social justice, what have you. <coughs> Excuse me. And as a result, all of this tension and turmoil between us and our loved ones has caused us to ask, how could this have happened? How could it be that a relationship that I thought was so secure, so safe, be so fragile and potentially even broken? And as you come around to asking those questions, you find yourself asking really the most important one behind them, and that is, how do I fix this? How do I fix these crucial and important relationships in my life that I hope are not disintegrating right before my eyes? Well, and that's the question that we hope to answer as we're continuing our sermon series entitled Grow Up. And the whole point of this series is to look at the six characteristics of genuine growing spiritual faith. Last week, we kicked off the series by looking at first and foremost, the foundational characteristic, which is godliness, growing in personal holiness. And today, we take a look at the second characteristic known as relational competency. Relational competency, that is being competent in navigating through the complexities of relationships because of the unfortunate difficulties of conflict. And as we take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 19, we're going to discover things that we must understand and apply if we want to fix our bruised and even broken relationships. And with that in mind, there are three things that we're going to take a look in today's message. First, we're going to talk about the inevitability of difficulty in relationships. The inevitability of difficulty in relationships. Number two, we're going to talk about the real enemy against your relationships. And finally, we're going to end it with the setup required to fix your relationships. The inevitability of difficulty, the real enemy of your relationships, and the setup required to fix your crucial, most important relationships. Okay, let's begin with the first point. The inevitability of difficulty in relationships. Relationships, what a mouthful. Who comes up with these points? I do. Sorry. Let's begin with our passage, starting in verse 8. We read, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Okay, pause it right there, your attention. Here's what's happening in the context. The very first human beings, Adam and Eve, have just committed the very first human sin, or what is sometimes known as the original sin. And what exactly did they do? They ate from the fruit of a tree that God explicitly forbid them to eat from. Now, this is not the time to go into as to why God would get so angry over a piece of fruit. There's actually more pressing matters for us to consider. More specifically, Adam's response when he's confronted by God for his sin. Did you guys hear what Adam said to God? Take a listen one more time. Verse 11, God starts off saying, Have you eaten of the tree which I command you not to eat? And listen to Adam's response. The woman who you gave to me, right? She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Wow, Adam. Did you seriously just throw your own wife under the bus? Are you looking at God with a straight face pointing to your wife as the reason why you're in this miserable and terrible situation? Are you blaming her for this predicament, this terrible predicament that you are in? Indeed, he is. Adam, instead of protecting his wife, is prosecuting his wife. Instead of being compassionate to his wife, he is being cruel to his wife. Or if I could put it another way, Adam is treating his wife as if she is his own 
mortal enemy, evidenced by his willingness to put her in the most dangerous, destructive situation ever under God's wrath. Now, for all the adults in this room, we know that what we just read here is a real sad tale, and yet it's not so shocking to us, is it? Why? Because the truth of the matter is we know far too well that stuff like this happens all the time in relationships that are supposed to be loving and affectionate but instead are not. I'm sure many of you can name personal couples that you know where instead of there being such intimacy and such connection, there is distance, there's hostility, maybe even hatred, where the husband is cruel, the wife is cold, or vice versa. And because this is such a prevalent experience that we see all the time, hopefully not in our relationships, we easily can read this passage between Adam and his wife and the things going on between them, and we're not shocked by it whatsoever. But you know what? You should be shocked. You should be astoundingly shocked by what we just read. Why? Well, consider how Adam first reacted when he first laid his eyes on his wife known as Eve. This is Genesis 2, starting in verse 20. It says this, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed it up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, Adam. And he said, Now, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Hmm. You know, the Bible and life really tells us that God never makes one person just for you to marry. There's no such thing as the soulmate, you know, the AKA the one, someone who you're destined for, someone who is just for you and only you and you just for them. That just doesn't happen at all. God doesn't do that unless, of course, you're talking about Adam. Adam is the only instance where God specifically tailor makes a person to be the love of his life to where no other person besides Eve can be who she is for him. So for all intents and purposes, Adam and Eve are literally the perfect human relationship, period. And yet look at how this perfect human relationship turned out, just like every other human relationship out there. And because that is true, do you realize what that means? It means if the most perfect human relationship could not avoid challenges, conflict, even cruelty, then all human relationships will inevitably have to face challenges, conflict, and even cruelty at times, okay? And because this is the fact of the matter, you need to understand that this is the reality that you and I are living in. Now, here's the thing. I know many of you already know this. You already know that every relationship out there is filled with the potential and the inevitability of facing challenges, conflict, and so forth. But here's the problem. You don't believe it. See, for many of us, the issue is not what we know, it's what we accept. Many of us don't have a problem of ignorance, we have a problem of acceptance. Because even though we know in our heads that there is no such thing as a relationship that is problem-free or difficult-free, we just don't want to believe it. We don't want to accept it. Evidenced by the kinds of thoughts that grow through our mind in the midst of a conflict that we have with our loved ones. Thoughts such as, man, this dude was never my true friend. Or, man, this is the wrong person that I married. <laughs> this is the, not the person I was supposed to be with. Or maybe, man, I could literally murder my own parent. Like, I can visualize, like, me my hurting them really, really bad. Or this child of mine, I hope that when they graduate, never come back home and are completely out of my life. Any of those thoughts sound familiar? 
You don't have to respond because I know the answer. Of course it is. And the reason why these thoughts that are just so dark and so scary even go into our minds is because you and I have an unrecognized, unacknowledged assumption when it comes to our expectations of relationships. And that assumption goes something like this. If this relationship has really bad problems, any difficulties, any hardships, that must mean that this relationship was never what I thought it was or it can never be what it used to be or it never is meant to be at all. In other words, you might think that this relationship was a lie. You were deceived, and therefore it's not true. It's disingenuous. But let me ask, does the Bible ever give us such war to have such an assumption about relationships? I don't think it does because the Bible makes it clear. Every true and genuine relationship will have inevitably real difficulties. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you will stop yourself from prematurely dooming a relationship that isn't really doomed, but you just think it is. This is the first step that you must take if you want to fix any bruised or broken relationship. You need to get rid of this underlying belief that it's possible for you to have a relationship that is difficult-free, problem-free. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you have a better chance of encountering a leprechaun or a unicorn before you ever experience such a relationship because such a relationship does not exist. It simply does not. Do you guys get that? If you do, then you're ready to move on to the second step you must take if you want to fix your relationships, which leads me to my next point, the real enemy to our relationships. Let's pick it back up where we left off. Verse 13, we read, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this, or what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so if you're here today investigating Christianity, what I just read to you can sound like something that you would read in a fictional fantasy children's novel, right? A talking serpent is not something that we come across in our everyday life. But as I'm about to explain what's happening in these verses, you're going to come to see that stuff like this happens every single day. Let me explain. This serpent is not a serpent. I mean, it is an actual serpent, but it's more than a serpent. Consider what it says in Revelation 12, verse 9. The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Huh. According to Revelation 12, this serpent in Genesis 3 is the devil, or as he's more widely known, Satan. Now, again, those of you here, you're considering the Christian faith. You hear what I'm saying? You're like, Pastor, isn't this a little bit ridiculous? Are you seriously going to stand there and tell me that not only is there a real devil, but he's capable of talking through a snake? To which I would respond, oh, yes, he does. And yes, he can. And if you don't believe that, then your relationships are all doomed. Read again Eve, okay? Her response when God confronted her in verse 13. The Lord God said to her, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice what happened to this poor woman. The devil talks to her in the form of a snake, words of deception, and she buys into it. She believes it. And what happens? She acts on it. And as a result, she's more miserable. She's in a more terrible situation. And now she has been made a fool. Can you relate to this? Let me ask you. Have you ever been in a situation where you know you're about to get into a big fight with someone you love? 
and you're not going to stop yourself because you feel you're ready for this fight. <laughs> because you think you know everything that's going on and you have an analyzed yourself and them and you know you're 100% right and they're 100% wrong and you're ready to go all in, right? Because you have the truth on your side. But as you begin to fight and as you hear their side of the story, their perspective, it starts to dawn on you, wait a minute, certain assumptions that I made are not true. Certain conclusions that I came to are totally off base. And by the end of that fight, you can't help but to feel like someone made you look like an absolute fool and it wasn't the person that you were fighting with. Who's that person who made a fool of you? Huh? Who do you think it is? Do I believe Satan can talk through a snake? Of course I do. Because I think he can talk through anything and anyone. I think Satan, for example, can talk through your memories where he can cause you to selectively filter out your memories in such a way, creating a false narrative that makes you feel more justified in being more bitter, more angry at your loved one. I think Satan can talk to you through misguided friends of yours who out of a misguided sense of loyalty to you will just confirm your biases and negate their perspective, your loved one's perspective, making you feel more self-righteous to be angry at them and to show no mercy. I think Satan can talk through the culture, whether you're talking about pop culture, political culture, media culture, even church culture, where certain beliefs are branded as gospel truth, and anyone who doesn't believe that truth are as guilty of being a reject of the gospel itself. Satan can talk through everything and everyone if you're not careful. Hear me when I say this. There is, a there is an enemy to your relationships, and it's not the person that you are in relationship with. And if you foolishly think that they are, you are going to be deceived just like Eve. How? How exactly are you going to be deceived? You're going to be deceived into thinking that your loved one is Satan himself. When you do not acknowledge the existence of the devil, and when you don't recognize him as the greatest enemy to your relationship, you're going to misinterpret your loved one you're in conflict with as if they're the devil themselves. It will. You may not think that way, but how you view them, how you treat them, functionally, it's as if you see them as the evil one. And once you do that, there's no hope for that relationship. You know why? Because the Bible says that there's nothing redeemable about Satan. There's nothing about him that can be fixed, that can be reformed. There's nothing good in him to where he's willing to turn around and come to his senses and get back to what he was before he fell into sin. And when you see your loved one like that, you're going to see the relationship the same way. The relationship is as doomed as Satan, and therefore there's nothing left for it to do except just to end it. Do you now understand why it's so crucial to understand who your true enemy is and who it is not. It is not your spouse. It is not your children. It is not your parents. It's not your friends. And it's not your fellow brother or sister in Christ. It's not even your human enemy, someone who doesn't even like you. They're not even your ultimate enemy. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you will be able to pump some hope back into this relationship, even though right now you might think there isn't any, okay? Now, at this point, I know some of you, all of you, are probably thinking of someone right now that currently you don't have much of a relationship with because of some difficulty that you guys had to face together, because of some tension and conflict that made you so distant from them. 
And even though you know that what I'm telling you is true in your head, again, the problem is you don't believe it. You don't accept it in your heart. And so the question is, what do we do when we have someone that somewhere in our hearts we still love, but yet it's so hard to love them right now because we've been deceived? Well, the answer leads me to my final point. The setup required to fix relationships. Read again with me verse 17. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, even though the main idea in this verse is God's punishment, there is a guiding principle here that if we extract and apply to our strained and shattered relationships, we can actually fix and what is that principle? It's the principle that says we must always hear God's word above anyone else's word. Again, the guiding principle that is a setup of fixing our relationships is always listening to God's word above anyone else's words. Go back to this text. Why is God so upset at Adam? He's upset because he listened to the words of his wife. Now, husbands, quick caveat. Normally, it's a good idea to always listen to the words of your wife. Okay, if you want to make her happy and if you want to make your life trouble free, listen to her words. But if you're listening to her words above God's words, you are going to be so unhappy and your marriage will not be sustainable. Okay, you cannot do that. If you listen to the words of anyone else, whether it be your wife your parents, your kids, your friends, even your pastor above the words of God, not only will you be unhappy, but there will be no harmony in the relationships that you have with these people because the Bible makes it clear. The only way that you can truly live a happy and harmonious life with the people around you is if God's word is always preeminent over and above the words of the people around you, even the ones that you love. I mean, look at what happened in Genesis 3. Adam was given a choice when Eve offered the fruit. He knew that she already broke fellowship with God, right? Adam still had a relationship with God. And Eve is saying, okay, it's either God or me. Who are you going to pick? Because right, me and God are done. You still have a relationship with God, but now this is going to potentially jeopardize us. What do you want to do? Do you choose us or do you choose God? He chose us. He chose Eve, right? He bit into that fruit. And yet he cut off the supply of love for his wife by cutting off fellowship with God. And what does he do? He throws her right under the bus, right? This is what happens when you always choose the words of someone else above the words of God. You must always choose to obey God's word above the words of anyone else, no matter who they are. But of course, therein begs the question, what words of God are we to be listening above anyone else's words? Listen to what it says in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what I just read to you is traditionally referred to as the proto-euangelion. That's a mouthful. Proto-euangelion. Now, what in the world is that? Consider these words from theologian Mike S Matt Slick. He says this. The proto-euangelion is a term used to describe the first mention of the gospel in reference to Genesis 3.15, where God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. It is the earliest account of the gospel recorded in the Bible. Do you guys catch that? Genesis 3.15 is the first mentioning, the first referencing of the gospel 
message where God the Son will come into the world as a man, seed of a woman, and he will suffer and die the full punishment and full penalty for your sins and my sins on the cross, which is what the bruising of the heel is referring to. And by doing so, he will destroy your enemy, God's enemy, once and for all, Satan, by crushing his head. Okay? That is the gospel message. That is the word of God that you must always keep in the forefront of your minds as you deal with your relationship. So let me break it down to you like this. Let's say you're in a real bad argument. You're in a real bad fight with someone you love. It could be your spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a child, a friend, a fellow Christian, whatever. Okay? And as you're in the midst of this heated argument, this bad fight, you see this person that you normally love as your enemy, right? You see them like the devil, right? And as you do, all you can hear inside of your head is that inner voice that sounds like the best prosecuting attorney that money can buy. I mean, this voice is just citing evidence upon evidence, example upon example, as to why this person should be judged and condemned, right? And the argument is just so airtight to where there's no room for reasonable doubt. And now here you are, the judge, getting ready to make your verdict. Guilty or guilty, (laughs) That's usually how it is. And when you find yourself ready to make that verdict, you need to hear God's word to you in the gospel. Because what is God saying to you when you remember the gospel? Here's what he's saying. Listen, I know that this person right now did you wrong. And maybe it's accurate in terms of how you see them right now, in terms of what they did. They did you wrong. And they are really the one to blame. But you know what? That's nothing compared to what you've done to me, how you sinned against me, how you've wronged me, and yet I was willing to forgive you, right? Should you at least not be willing to offer forgiveness? Doesn't mean that you have to have to forgive them, but shouldn't you at least be willing to consider offering forgiveness? Because if I have forgiven you much for your greater sins, should you at least not consider offering, being willing to be open to offer forgiveness for this person who sinned against you. That's one of the things that God says to us as we remember the gospel. But you know, there's something else that God says. God also says in the gospel, listen, I came and did what I did for you so that I could destroy your real enemy because I still have hope for mankind. And given that your loved one is part of mankind, that means I haven't given up on them shouldn't you also not give up on them as well? If I am God and I'm wiser than you and I know more than you and I'm fully aware of what's possible, don't you think you should at least consider my perspective? If you're going to say in your heart, this is done, there's no hope for this person, there's no possibility of reform, aren't you saying you're wiser than me? Aren't you saying you're, you're more smarter than me and that therefore you could be me? There's so many things that God is saying to us when we remember the gospel as it pertains to our relationship. These are just two of the many things that we need to think about as we struggle in these relationships that we have, these relationships that are so crucial to us, the word of God. We need to be listening to God's word above the words of anyone else, including our own. And the more you hear God's word, the more you hear another inner voice inside of you as you're in the middle of conflict. It's the voice of your Savior, Jesus, defending that person that you're in conflict with because it's the exact same defense he gives 
for you on your behalf to the Father. And the more you hear his defense for your loved one, the more it reminds you of your own defense that he gives to you. And pretty soon, your inner voice starts echoing his voice. And pretty soon, you become the leading defense attorney in the inner courtroom of your heart for this person that you love so much, but yet you're in conflict with right now. This is how we develop the setup required in our hearts, in our minds, to be able to fix these relationships that have been strained, maybe even shattered, bruised, maybe even broken, so that there at least is the possibility, the hope of restoration, redemption, and renewal, and reconciliation in that relationship. The question is, are you going to accept that? Not will you know it, because I know you already know it, but will you accept it? Will you believe it? And will you finally seek to live it out with the people that right now, there's some tension, there's some distance, there's some hardship. God has given us in his word the means in which we can restore and fix these relationships. But the question is, will you do that by accepting what the gospel says? Let's pray. Father, I know for many of us in this room, there are so many in our lives that we have broken off friendship, broken off connection, broken off time spent together because of sin, because of disagreeableness, because of difficulty. And Father, I know it can be so hard to not see them the way that we typically want to as the worst enemy against us. But Father, we know who our true enemy is, and we know he's at work of deceiving us constantly in terms of how we see the people that we love, people that we wish we could once again connect with, people that we yearn for and yet have a hard time being around. God, you know what's going on in this room, what's going on in the families represented and the friendships and the community that they're a part of. Father, I pray that you will bring healing, that you will cause reconciliation because of your words that are embedded in the gospel message. Father, would you please help us to truly become competent in our relationships by learning how to truly live a reconciled life with one another. Let it be by us always hearing your word and heeding it above all so that we would not be listening to any other voice, including our own, but instead of the one who loves us and defends us before the heavenly courts. God, help us to live out this call, this characteristic of being competent in our relationships so that we can be harmonious and we can treasure and protect our most important, most intimate relationships of all. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're not